One, two, three. Hi, everyone. This is Joseph Anderson, and I'm here with my second podcast of 2020. And this one's going to be on social media and music. It's a topic I'm very interested in. Uh, as you probably remember, since the early years, even the days of MySpace, people have been getting famous using social media. Uh, I can remember growing up, people like Lindsey Sterling gaining a lot of uh, momentum through social media. People like Justin Bieber were discovered on social media, and it's still happening today. For example, Billie Eilish was discovered on SoundCloud, I believe, and she has just recently cleaned up at the Grammys. So it's still happening, it's still going on. But what I want to ask today is how effective is social media in building a brand for the everyday musician? Are there other ways to do it besides social media, or does social media have a monopoly on who gets in and who doesn't? Have they, in effect, become the new digital gatekeepers? Joining me for this podcast will be my friend and pro professional musician, Joseph Christensen. Christensen has several years of playing professionally under his belt. He's a member of, he's a member of the award-winning San Francisco Quartet, and he travels the world playing violin. So, Joseph, good to have you here with us. Great to be here with you. So, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah, it's an interesting topic, social media and music. Um, I would say my own relationship with uh, social media within my musical profession has had a couple different elements. Um, I would say when I started out, so I started out music when I was, um, I was 12 when I started playing the violin, and I... Um, got more serious and I decided to take it uh, professional. I went to um, conservatory and, and college and obviously through kind of in the beginning of that process around 2009, that's when uh, um, social media started taking off. So I've seen it the entire time. I've been a musician and working in the field and um, yeah, I, I would say my relationship with it has, has kind of changed over the years. and. Um, for example, my current uh, job with the string quartet, um, I found out about through Facebook. Mm. So just from um, being aware, so being aware of groups that I liked and was interested in and kind of staying up to date on social media, just from a purely pragmatic standpoint, it kind of helped me be aware when a job opening was available. Mm. And um, that was a really great opportunity and um, and then as now now being a part of the quartet, it's and and having to um, not only play. That's one of the interesting things about kind of going from school. So going, being in music school. I don't know if you've seen the movie uh, Whiplash. Oh, I thought you were going to say School of Rock. <laughs> Honestly, I haven't seen that movie. It's just so crazy. Oh, you haven't? No, I haven't seen that movie. Oh, okay. No, I haven't seen Whiplash I, either. I <laughs> Oh, okay, well, perfect. Is that, the, is that the Rollerblade one? No, Whiplash is about, a, it's like a, a conservatory kind of gone wrong. It's like a very intense, like, hothouse conservatory environment, and like, kind of people mentally cracking under the string. 
of that. And then I'm probably not as fun as School of Rock. <laughs> <laughs> that's also that's a Jack cracking under the strain. That's Jack Black cracking under the strain of acting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to see it. Yeah. Um, but so... So anyway, the, that movie kind of depicts an environment and I would say it's exaggerated, but it's, it's true that, you know, music school is a very um, a kind of ivory tower place where you get to think about music and think about the art that you're trying to create all the time. And um, it's very intense, but it's also kind of nice because um, you're just focusing on the music with no, um, no reference to how you're going to bring that to people in the wider world. So, so it's been kind of cool actually being in the quartet where we're not only playing the music, which is fun and that's why we're doing it, right? That's the most important thing to us. But also before concerts, like we just, we just put a concert on in uh, Bolinas up in the North Bay or Ben Marin County. And there was this whole question before, um, before the uh, concert of, okay, we're self-producing this. Mm. And if we don't put action out there, we don't do a call to action out there. No one is going to even know we're doing it. Mm-hmm. So we ended up, um, we ended up doing kind of a combination of new media and old media. So we uh, found a radio station there that was uh, willing to sponsor us. And by sponsor, we mean they would do ad reads for us and kind of get the word out about it, which was really helpful. Um, and and then we also did a ton of Facebook advertising and um, and posting about it and Instagram and getting people to share it on their pages and sort of getting the word out that way. And that also brought a lot of people uh, to it. But I would say maybe as a, as a headline, I know you didn't really ask like a, a question, but, but like as far as how does social media impact the modern musical profession, it's, I think it's, it, it has to be a part of there's a mix of new media, old media, and then face-to-face, like person-to-person um, sharing. Because that, at the end of the day, music is a personal experience t- between people, right? So it's like, how how do you use these different forms of media to share what you're doing mm-hmm. on, in a personal <clears throat> way? So that's, I go. That, I, I think most, probably most uh, professions are still kind of like that. It's a mixture of a couple of things, right? I'm not sure... If- there's a lot of them that are that are all social media based, but <clears throat> so you kind of mentioned you're in you're in the quartet in San Francisco, so that means you're doing a lot of classical music, right? Yeah, we're doing a lot of classical, kind of modern. So um, quartet San Francisco is a as a mix of modern classical composers and also the um, um, sort of arrangements from popular or different styles of music. It was very, it's kind of a crossover quartet. It's a mm-hmm. little bit of everything. But, and so going yeah. back to what I was saying earlier about, I mentioned some some famous people that are probably everybody listening to this yeah. knows about. Can you think of any uh, people who do classical music right. or people who are similar to the music you do yeah. who got famous through? I mentioned Lindsay Sterling. Mm-hmm. You probably know a bit about. Of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's kind of the first one that does this kind of music that I ever came across a long time ago right. now. Uh, but are there other people that have gotten famous mostly through social media? That's a really good question. I would say that in my, so I'm, you know, we are kind of in the, the niche of string quartet, Mm -hmm. right? Um, that, that's a, it's a very small niche of a, of a small, um, 
comparatively small part of the music industry. So thinking about uh, a, a group that's really done well through social media, I would say that um, in the classical world, it's not a string quartet, but um, probably the there's two, um, actually three, okay. So there's three stars, I would say, who um, had their uh, start in the traditional classical music. So in classical music, probably as in every profession, there are gatekeepers, mm. as you mentioned earlier. Mm. There are gatekeepers, and it's really kind of a meritocracy, right? Mm. So you have um, this very competitive field. So it becomes very important for people to set themselves apart. They have to somehow attach themselves to some uh, institution or some competition or something that can define them as superior in some way, right? Mm -hmm. So for I was, I was going to use as a sort of the prime case, I would say someone like Hilary Hahn, who is this incredibly famous and successful violin soloist, she got her start winning competitions and she went to Curtis Institute, great school, and she, and she was picked up by recording labels early on. So she had all of this sort of institutional mm. support and this outside like confirmation of, of your, their validity, which mm -hmm. I think in the field is somewhat necessary, mm. right? You have to be able to somehow establish your value within the market of classical music um, in order to gain a following because there's so many people who play the violin or play the piano or whatever, then how do you set yourself apart? Mm -hmm. And one of the most obvious ways to do that are um, competitive, but also, you know, uh, rightly so <laughs> competitive ways to do that is to establish yourself with one of these sort of old institutions of, of uh, merit and uh, prestige. So it's interesting. So it's almost like you're, you're saying that even today, it's still largely that, that way and that social media hasn't disrupted that yet. That being said, so we now find ourselves in a different sort of situation today where you still have the record labels and you still have the great competitions and institutions that um, are... Uh, that are attached to um, these names. But um, there's also the added thing. For example, there's um, just from pure numbers, every year there might be 10 huge music competitions mm. that happen in the world. Okay. Each one of which presumably has a winner or several winners. And uh, just from pure numbers, you can't have. 10 new megastars per year. <laughs> mm, mm. I mean, there are brilliant musicians who are making uh, waves every year with winning competitions mm. or, or signing record deals or whatever it is. And, and there's enough room in the music industry. Not everyone has to be uh, a superstar. Everyone, you know, it's like every. I guess what I'm saying is there's different levels of success right mm -hmm. what i think when i think about what i'm trying to do as a musician i'm not necessarily trying to sell out stadiums yeah. but if i can sell out a, a nice uh, concert hall for something or, or get enough people to attend who i who will connect with what i'm doing that's success in my book right so so um going back to that social media hillary Hahn though is someone who has set herself apart in the subsequent years because there's a lot of people who get that start of of Good, getting the competition or getting that sort of support from mm. a record label or whatever. But there's not many people who um, 
have the staying power Hillary Hahn has had, where she's right now, you could say she's more relevant than she's ever been. Okay. And that's largely because she's really, really wonderful with social media. She, okay. on Instagram, she, um, she practice, she's one of the first people to post practice videos of her. Mm. And it's so cool because she's like this brilliant violinist, one of the greatest you might say ever. Mm-hmm. And she's showing like deep insights into her practice. And she's even showing areas where she's struggling. And it's like, you get to see that, uh, her vulnerability and like her, what she's working through at the moment. So it's, it's a great resource to musicians everywhere to actually be mm. able to see behind the, the scenes, you know, that she provides. And, um, and she actually started out with a blog. She has this thing, she made a persona for her violin case. So okay. she would take pictures of her violin case and all these different <coughs> far flung locales where she's performing. And she would post from the, from the perspective of the violin case on everything that was going on. But that's what she started doing back in the 2000s. She, she was doing blog posts. And that has sort of gone from her doing um, blogs to Instagram to, and now she's doing more active stuff on YouTube. So she's almost like a case study of someone who took it to the next level using social media. Yes. And I'm, you know, just from my observation, having been a huge fan of Hillary on for many years and just following her, it's like she has used social media as almost a way to um, tell her own story. And it's inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. It's super inspiring. And to, it's like she she's let her social media presence change as she's changed, you know. So it's 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 like cool following someone like that over the years because you kind of feel like you like know them and it's like you are invested in what they're doing. So I guess I'm I was gonna ask you because you you've done some something that I haven't had really the the success in doing, which is like building up a following. Right. Mm. So you've built up a a pretty <clears throat> sizable Twitter following. Right. 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 And, um, so for you, like, I was going to ask like how to, to me, when I think in my mind, if, okay, if I set out and I want to build a huge following of social media, I mean, I could, you know, there, there's different ways people do that. There's, um, like, you know, there's like Logan Paul, <laughs> yeah, someone yeah. who just does dumb stuff online. Yeah. Or, you know, there's other people who are famous through, what you know, their media jobs or whatever it is. But I think people like Hillary Hahn, she's just telling her story. Right. You know? And it's like that to me seems like what I would almost want to do mm. if I set out to, to use social media to spread what I'm doing a little bit more. So anyway, I was yeah. interested in your thoughts on building your own following and sort of what is your, what is your guiding idea been behind that? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think that it's it's funny you brought up Logan Paul because I think uh, whenever, whenever I've thought about what I want to do in social media, I've kind of used people like that as people I don't want to be like, you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> because I think with people like that, they use, they, uh, they're really good at tapping into a certain demographic, but the problem is, is that I feel like you do a lot of damage to your brand in the process of tapping into that demographic. Which I just have never really wanted to do, especially with, you know, I, mean, I think it works if it works for you. But I mean, if, if you want to be that, like for him, he's right now trying to rediscover his brand a right. little bit. I haven't, I haven't really been following him a lot lately. Started but, a podcast. Yeah, he did. <laughs> but he's like trying to like, he's trying to be taken more seriously now. Right. But it's almost kind of like, well, I don't know, maybe he can do it. Mm-hmm. But I kind of want to start out not having to be trying to remake <laughs> my image. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, but 
so I think that this kind of ties in with some things I want to get into. So you asked, uh, your question was how to build up a following. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of one of the main questions of tonight. So I just want to read a few, before I get into that, I just want to read a few scary statistics. Sure. sure. So every minute of the day, around 38,000 hours of music is listened to on Spotify alone. Um, and if that's not scary enough, I guess that, that if we can think of it this way, that means in 2018 alone, Americans streamed over 900 billion songs. <laughs> so SoundCloud has over 10 million music creators and 177 million tracks. And that's not even getting into the 3.5 billion social media users. And I don't even know how many blogs or how much content. And YouTube is something like, I can't even, I don't even know, but there's a ton of content on YouTube yeah. uploaded every day. So this does kind of get into, for me, kind of a, the one of the main questions I wanted to bring up, which yeah. is a question you brought up, which is how do you, how do you make a brand for yourself on social media? Yeah. With all this content out there. Yeah. And how do you break through the noise? So mm -hmm. I think you brought up uh, uh, Hillary... Hillary Hahn. Hillary Hahn, yeah. Hillary Hahn. I want to say Kimberly Hahn for some reason. Uh, Hillary Hahn and how she built up her, her brand almost by being authentic, right? Yeah. So that's, I guess, one way of doing it. So I think that if I were just to kind of dive into what... I do to build up my brand is probably to a identify something that people call it's like this concept I'm not sure if you've heard of it but it's called identifying your tribe hmm. have you heard of that Seth Godin yeah Seth Godin yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. okay. I kind of just read that before <laughs> for this podcast really? I really did awesome awesome so I was just kind of like because I was just kind of like thinking about this topic right I in, in fairness I uh I actually have never read a Seth Godin book but I haven't either but I, I just read it <laughs> in a blog post okay yeah I was a huge um but you remember when it was like the golden age of uh, blogs. Mm -hmm. Like, at least I consider it the golden age of blogs. Like back in the earlier, like, or like maybe two thousand eight, two thousand like in the time of uh, the the minimalists. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you read? Uh, was it called Far Beyond the Stars? Did you ever read that one? No. Uh, I met that guy. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Everett Bogue. He was a uh, minimalist back in the day. Um, but anyway, um, Leo Babauta. Huh? Leo Babauta. No. Okay. Anyway. He's another minimalist. But anyway. Um, no, so I listen to the two guys. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> as far as I got well, to do Okay, it. it's, it's a tangent. But yeah, I, I read a lot about that. So anyway, what? not to go on a tangent. No, no, it's okay. About Seth Godin. The oh, yeah. Tribes. The tribes. Yeah, no, that's okay. I'm just trying to click my thoughts here. But with the tribes. Oh, yeah. So like, I don't even really know what Seth Godin's point was. I just kind of collected my own point. Okay, this, yeah, like, yeah. Briefly reading it. Yeah. Which I kind of see it as because they're... So, I guess there's kind of like this duality thing or like this kind of paradox maybe going on where, like I said, for example, what did I say? There's 10 million music creators and 177 million tracks, but there's also a ton of people on these platforms. Yeah. So if you think about it, everybody sort of has a chance now. Yeah. Okay. Let me back up a little bit. In the past, think about like how media was consumed. Mm -hmm. It was like TV, right? Yep. And so there are very limited spots on TV yeah. that you, I mean, so I don't, I think that the, the way people were famous back then was in a way that we probably will not, may never be famous again yeah. because you could only be a certain number of famous people. Mm -hmm. Whereas now 
there's an opportunity to be micro famous yeah. or like a micro influencer, right? Mm-hmm. And so you can really identify your tribe and the people who kind of follow your, or even like maybe dedicated to what you do. Mm-hmm. And I think as time goes on, people are even finding ways now to use those kinds of people to like market their things, yeah. right? And it's mm-hmm. going on like crazy. Yeah. So I guess the first step I would say is to identify your niche, like you were mm-hmm. saying. With uh, it, and that can be maybe other, maybe it'll be other violinists or whatever. And once you kind of define that, you can kind of network your way in, especially through things like Twitter. Right. You can easily kind of find people who are interested in that, and you just got to get connected with them, I follow see. their stuff, and then mm-hmm. they'll they'll get connected with you. And that's one way of doing it. Right. Did you find your niche? Niche. Whatever. Well, that's, well, you can pronounce it either way. <laughs> I don't even think it's an English word. <laughs> Fair enough. Look that up. Look that up, Christy. Is that, is niche, where's the origin of niche? How do we pronounce niche? How do you how do you pronounce niche? Um, but when you're identifying your your niche, <laughs> your Nietzsche, <laughs> yeah, your Nietzsche, then um, are you identifying what you're interested in, or are you identifying what you you perceive to be the largest market that you can mm. intersect with or did you have that thought well i think i think in this day and age you got to start with a niche and then kind of go outwards right and that's kind of your only hope and i think that the hope would be that you kind of intersect with other people right but i mean if you think about how many people like let's say i'm not even trying to say this is what you're trying to do but let's just say like your thing is i don't know like maybe hillary do we have an answer? Yeah. For niche? Um, in American, it's niche. Oh, and really? British English, it's niche. Oh, I pronounce it and niche. Um, <laughs> you were just in England, so that makes sense. <laughs> I picked it up. <laughs> Originally a Latin word, but um, in French. Yeah, French. French. I figured it was yeah. a French word mm-hmm. that we got from the French. Good thing you weren't water. there for like another week or else you'd be like <laughs> full on. Color. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Instead of color. <laughs> exactly. No, but... Yeah, so like I think like maybe like maybe Hillary was finding that people were interested in what she was doing because they were also interested in being musicians, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that might be like a place you start, and then that grows into people that are not just interested in being a musician, but maybe people are just interested in, I don't know, music in general, right? right? Mm-hmm. And then I think that's kind of how I it tends see. to happen. Yeah, yeah, you can grow outward, but certainly you can grow outward, yeah. and you may never grow outward. Yeah, but having the having that niche. Oh, I'm gonna have trouble with that. <laughs> I'm just going to say niche. I'm sorry. I feel like that word's going to come up a lot in this podcast, too. You're welcome to say niche. (laughs) We have to do like a drinking game to the niche. (laughs) Like how many times do I say niche afterwards? But uh, yeah, so you kind of grow outwards. uh, Like one, one, I kind of almost, one one big niche on uh, Twitter is people who, like writers. Mm. Like there is an endless stream of writers on Twitter. Right. And so I just feel like that's like a gold mine. If you if you want to connect with people who are writers, you can just keep going to that. Right. Probably musicians, it's the same. That still begs the question, though, what can you do to stand out? Yeah. I feel like it's it's just, from my perception, it's both a blessing and a curse because it means that obviously there is so much more noise that you have to do to stand out. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it means... Our conception, like, of what your possible audience is, is kind of inadequate because whatever we have our social construct of, oh, I know, uh, whatever, 500, 1,000 people in my general circle, but actually your potential audience is 
so much, oh, yeah. even within your small niche is so much beyond that. If yeah. you're good at utilizing it, it's like almost a question of standing out above the noise. If you do find your niche, it, like what, how many followers is enough? Like probably for, if you're, a, if you're a, I don't know if, I mean, if you're a musician and you are able to get a few thousand followers, but who know what you do is like location specific, like um, you know, let's say you're a musician, you're trying to get a following in the United States and then put together a tour or something. Well, a few thousand should probably be adequate. But then, you know, the sky's the limit as far as probably the universality of what you're trying to spread. And I don't know. I think it's it's a double-edged sword. It's in interesting. It's an interesting idea you're having, too. It's kind of like, how do you define your niche? Your niche. <laughs> you have trouble with this. How do you define it, right? Like, how do you define yeah, your tribe? Because... Exactly. I, I've had, um, I've kind of had a couple false starts on my YouTube channel a few times, um, just because I have, like I, um, uh, it's funny, anytime you do a creative effort, you get a lot of feedback, right? And then you have to like decide what feedback you're going to follow and not. So one of the huge part, bits of feedback I got from my, starting my YouTube channel is I, I did two videos and they had kind of different, um, topics one was mm. for music lessons for beginners and others like adult beginners and and people were telling me like you have to focus your your scope you have to know exactly who you're targeting at but like for me as a musician i'm interested in history i'm interested in composers i want to perform i want to do all of this stuff so i'm like i don't want to be limited down to yeah. one one niche that's too narrow but then um that that kind of analysis paralysis has it kind of just oh, sometimes that's I, always the hard thing yeah. I get I get stopped up I don't I don't continue to create and then I I don't grow but um, yeah I think um, in that way I think looking at Hillary Hahn for example just using her as, as an example I don't think she did <laughs> like her niche was her own playing it was centered around who she was as a musician and personality so she had different kinds of content she's always made I think um, it's probably better to make your niche whatever you're probably most interested in organically, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but not to limit it to that, especially if that's going to stop you from creating at all. So it's probably, I mean, it's it's cool when you, you when we talked about doing this podcast, it lights like a little fire under me yeah. as a creative person being like, dang it, he's doing it. He's going, <laughs> he's actually doing it. Uh, like, Except I, we're yeah. using your equipment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> your equipment's a lot better than mine. Yeah, that, that's true. So, <laughs> but, uh, exactly. And, uh, no, but it's, it's like, I want to do similar things. I want to maybe do a podcast. I want to, you know, do more, be more active with my nice microphone and recording equipment, maybe record some music on it kind of stuff. But that's actually a statistic I read that was kind of made me kind of glad to be doing podcasts yeah. now because one in four, I guess one in four Americans have listened to a podcast. There you go. Yeah. And it's growing, man. It's growing. That's another thing I read because I was kind of wondering. <coughs> Sorry. I, I think at some point I do want to do videos with my podcast. Mm -hmm. But right now, I just don't want to. Yeah. But I read this article and it was saying that like some crazy percentage of people listen, of, of YouTube people, mm -hmm. list, just listen to content. Yeah. And that's how they consume it. So right. it's like people will just listen. Mm -hmm. And like I, I go for walks all the time. And even when there's videos, most of the time I don't watch it. Right. Same. I just put my earbuds, my head, my earbuds. <laughs> yeah. Earbuds in. My <laughs> headphones in. And then just, you know, walk and listen. Right. Same. So, I do that a lot for, for YouTube. And then every now and again, so. it'll bump in my pocket and it'll pause, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, damn it. <laughs> 
Do you have YouTube Premium? I, you know, I really should because I use it so much. That but is, I, remember, I don't want to. I, I mean, I the best thing about it, not that, you know, not a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> obviously. But uh, no, YouTube Premium is awesome. For that reason, you can autoplay in the background. You can turn your screen off. Yeah, and, uh, exactly. No ads. So Dude, they, they should hire us. Just between, I know, man. They should. <laughs> Google, if you're listening. <laughs> we just indexed our website. Exactly. So. We did. I'm playing, paying for Google ads. Please hire us. Anyway. But um, no, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a gross market, so it's good to be getting into it now. But yeah, I think that... So the way I look at it, so it's a little, it's a little different for me because I have, on the one side, I have my business... Actually, I could do some of that. Oh, right. I'm going to break the... Do it, man. Uh, I think... Uh, for me, it's a little easier because... Oh, even the help's getting in on this. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, for me, I have my business on the yeah, one hand. Right. And then everything else that's not my business is just like... I feel is like total freedom. Mm-hmm. So like I feel like I can make a podcast and it doesn't have to be great, like you right. know. And I can make a podcast and I can do it on whatever topic I want. It doesn't really matter because nobody's paying me for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And there's like a lot of freedom in that. Right. Versus like you know when you when you are doing professional work, like you know doing a gig or something in music, probably. Mm-hmm. I'm just making it. I don't know because I've never done that, but it's just as an analogy, you know, you're getting paid for a specific purpose to do a specific thing. And then there's all these standards you got to live up to. And there's all these expectations mm-hmm. and all these things. Whereas when you do them, when you do something for yourself, all of a sudden it's like, like it can be whatever I want. That's actually yeah. partly why I just started this website, mm-hmm. josephwriteranderson.com. Just Shout out. Shout out. <laughs> What's your website that you my, want to promote? My website is um, josephfylin.com. So very similar. <laughs> so we're both named Joseph, and uh, this is the Joseph Podcast. So. Yeah, exactly. We should just make this a weekly thing. <laughs> yeah. I really yeah. like this, yeah. especially this setup. Yeah, it's pretty good. But I'll, I'll link to that in my, oh, yeah. when I post this around sure. to get you a little bit of traffic that way. I claim uh, we'll, we'll, we'll okay. uh, figure out some affiliate deal. Dude, <laughs> when I see that Anderson bump in the, uh, in the, in the uh, analytics, I'll know where it came from. But yeah, what was I saying? Shoot, I forget now. Talking about niches. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, how, um, like, when you do your own thing, it's really good, I guess is what I was saying. Yeah, a little freedom. Oh, yeah, so my website. So, I actually found an, a niche on Medium. You know Medium? Yes. You probably read some of my articles on mm-hmm. there. So, I found a niche on Medium, and it was, like, going really good. Because, like, I, I think I spent, like, a year writing for, for Medium, mm-hmm. right, on Medium without getting a lot of traction and then right. eventually I just started getting like article after article mm-hmm. uh, was being featured so that means basically kind of like, you know, like when you go on YouTube you see featured videos mm-hmm. that's what Medium was doing with my content yeah. so I was getting picked out I was getting like thousands of views a month and it was getting published by some of the like the largest publications on Medium things like that mm-hmm. and I was sharing it and I was growing my following that way that kind of was giving right. me content to feed people to people were tweeting my stuff and sharing right. it on social media and that felt great and then it actually led to me talking on the British Broadcasting Channel which I talked about a bunch which I would not have expected an article on Medium to do that's that that's why you stay niche rather than niche that's why, <laughs> that's why. <laughs> it's my affiliation my, my I'm gonna say predilection but uh, yeah so the thing that I felt eventually was though is that I started writing for the medium editors you know mm-hmm. 
Kind of like you were saying, like I just wanted to be featured on Medium. I kind of just got a little claustrophobic, Mm. almost like I had gotten too much into that niche of writers, writing for writers. There's a whole lot of people who do that. Right. And so now with my website, I kind of feel like I feel free. Like I can write about other things and there's no editor who's going to look at it or whatever. Interesting. You know, it's not, it's not where I'm getting my main income from anyways. That's interesting. So it's like almost if there was a way for you to use your platform for doing what you wanted and then finding where it can intersect with uh, institutions or uh, whatever the gatekeepers mm. to such a degree because I'm assuming you want to grow your your private stuff potentially as well mm. right? like but not to the sacrifice of your own um, autonomy is that kind of what you're that's saying that's an interesting point yeah I guess I guess for me uh, I just feel like the the desire to create is good enough. Uh-huh. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like, if the problem is, is that if you're creating stuff and it's just in a closet, it's not yeah. doing any good for anybody. Exactly. Not that like, it's kind of weird because not that, I don't know if this podcast is going to do any good for anyone, right. but maybe it will, yeah. or maybe it's just, you know, it's just how it is. You're good putting stuff out there. It's fun. Yeah. You feel more fulfilled doing that. And honestly, I don't really, I really doubt having 2 million followers on the inside feels much different than having 2,000. Right. It probably does feel a little different, mm-hmm. but, you know, eventually it's all just a number, mm-hmm. you know, and... Well, it probably has to do with, like, how you how you intend to monetize it or if you... Oh, yeah, it'll change how you monetize <laughs> yeah. it and things like that for sure, but yeah. on the, but at the end of the day, it's like, you know, it's not really... The, the followers aren't what you're working for. Right. Particularly if you do have a uh, an artistic or... Um, personal point of view that you're interested in expressing that is independent of like financial gain or some other third mm. goal other than or a secondary goal beyond just expressing what it is you're trying to do in the moment but this day and age though it's all kind of tied together yeah because you think about it if you're someone like me for example where i work in content this stuff is going to help me with my financial goal because right. someday i can be like there's like a job i really want yeah. or a client i can say look at my website right and then, or if there, maybe, maybe I'll want to do podcasting for a company. Yeah. And then I'll be like, hey, I've been doing podcasting. Right. So that's the kind of world we're in now. People want to see, because they know you can, it's not like the olden days where you had to get into a gatekeeper yeah. to produce. They know right. if you're really passionate, you're going to produce now. Right. That's so it, it all works together towards benefiting your brand. Yeah. So it's your brand that you're working towards, not your followers, not even the money. Yeah. It's the brand. That's true. So yeah. About that brand. Mm. <laughs> That's a, that's a sound bite. <laughs> <laughs> that's true, man. Interesting. That's and what that, I look at it. And that way you kind of don't feel the need to like almost sell out too early or to like focus all of your efforts on on pleasing other people yeah. in a way. Because that way, I mean, I've, I've sometimes felt if I spend a lot of time on, on these on sort of third party projects, mm-hmm. then sometimes... Um, it's harder to even conceptualize to yourself what is it that I'm trying to do or I'm trying to say, you know, if, if you're, I mean, you know, as a musician, for example, if you just have a, a ton of gigs lined up in a row and I love gigs, please send them my way. <laughs> <laughs> Joseph Violin. Yes, Joseph Violin.com. <laughs> um, but um, I feel like as, as wonderful as having those uh, interactions with other musicians and those um, opportunities are, at the same time, it's kind of a challenge because you you only have so much time in the week, but you're also you have to use that time to um, 
to take advantage of the opportunities you have, but also to develop what it is you want to say as an artist. Mm, mm. So thinking of it as like not directly like I'm doing this video to get this many followers, like, you know, whatever. It's more like I'm doing this to de further define it, 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 further define what it is I want my brand to encompass, yeah. what I want to express, and the areas I want to be involved in down the road. Yeah. yeah, and if you think about it, so since this is a topic about social media and music, if we're just looking at it a, like a very like strategic marketing mindset of what you can achieve being a musician, doing all these different things. Yeah. So I say it's all good for your brand, but even like, let's just say you have all this stuff linking to your website. Yeah. It's going to be good for you monetarily, right? Even if you're not right. using AdWords or True. whatever this stuff online is people are going to recognize you and they're going to go there and they're going to book gigs with you mm -hmm. or they're going to book being taught by you. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So all of that plays together for sure. It's true. And like, you know, blogging once a week even might seem kind of futile mm -hmm. or whatever, but then all of a sudden your SEO is going up. Right. Right. I mean, I even tell like my mom who does art shows, I always tell her like, you should just write a blog for mm. your, for your thing. And she, I don't think she does it, but I was like, yeah, if you're going to go to an art show, write a blog. It'll still help people come right. to your website. You know, so there's this whole funnel that happens right. that is just only beneficial to you, really. Interesting. It's true. It's inspiring me to do more stuff on my website. <laughs> you should it, for sure. Man. You should uh, link to my link to this video on your website. Will do absolutely. This is one of the things, man. Podcast, blog, YouTube video. Yeah, it's all part of the mix. So. We've covered a lot of topics. Um, kind of already covered this how to build a brand for yourself. Can you think of any specific, like, just like maybe like a few bullet point things of what what you have seen of successful ways musicians are building their own brand? One thing that um, QSF, um, Cortez San Francisco, really wants to do um, coming up is... Um, we want to do more during our concerts to engage people um, in our online world. So some of the obvious things um, are actually uh, getting an email list. So getting, yeah, you know, kind of getting people invigorated, a little call to action, like, yeah, join our email list and we'll send you offers and updates and all this stuff. So that's, um, that's something we're going to be trying to do more of in the future. And along with that, um, you know, if someone comes to a concert, you can... Um, give someone a download code to be like, hey, we have a uh, uh, exclusive track only available to people who have actually come to concerts and um, follow this whatever URL and or whatever it is, and you're able to actually get access to this uh, special track, right? So it's using um, actually our in-person um, is using our in-person interactions to fuel our online and thereby hoping to also fuel more um, online to in-person interactions. Like, so trying to increase traffic both ways. Mm. So that's mm. kind of um, where we're trying to go. And so with that being said, the next point is kind of along those lines. So in an article I was reading by the Rolling Stone, uh, it kind of covered a few ways that musicians today are making money. Mm -hmm. And those include things like selling merchandising, asking for direct funding via platforms mm -hmm. like Patreon. That's actually a question I want to ask you, but we'll get back to that. Taking part in advertising campaigns, performing live, and of course, 
recording music and getting paid by that music if it gets played. So it's kind of funny because because of this internet and because of social media, digital streaming sites and all these things, there's actually probably more uh, ways to make revenue as a, as a musician today than ever before. And yet, according to the article, musicians today are still strapped for cash, mm-hmm. regardless of that fact. So do you know of any innovative novel ideas that people are taking advantage of in order to stay relevant while also putting food on the table? I think um, there was a study recently that showed that um, (laughs) it's like uh, in the music industry, the actual musicians made something like 12% of the total revenue of the music industry. It's pretty ridiculous. I literally just read that article. <laughs> yeah. Did you just read that before this podcast? No, no. I literally just read that. <laughs> was it 12? It was so, around 12, oh, yeah. yeah. Crazy. Uh, maybe check that. I don't know. In fact, check. Um, <laughs> what, what is the... Uh, um, or like music uh, study music industry revenue or something like that. Um, I think I did music statistics or something. Music, okay, music statistics. That might have worked too. Because it, it, it's something like musicians get 12% of music industry really revenue. Low. It's yeah. super low. So, and the majority of that was through touring. So basically... Mm, really? Yeah. I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah. And it back um, a long time ago, that would have been very different. Um, it would have been mostly or largely in the record industry because you had those gatekeepers. You had to buy the record directly from the company. There was no pirating. There was no streaming. So... Um, you didn't have these other access, these other types of access to tracks, so you had to go directly through. Um, so yeah, it was a lot better way to make money back in the day. Recordings uh, are different. Streaming, um, you have to have rather high numbers, um, thousands and thousands of listens in order to generate even a few dollars. I was um, reading it something like for every playback, an artist makes like point zero zero eighteen. Yeah. Did you read that article? To you? <laughs> Crazy, oh, right? Yeah, it's very low. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's basically, it's like, and sometimes we, uh, um, you know, like we have CDs at, uh, at concerts and we'll joke around like, Hey, here's some coasters. If you like some coasters <laughs> to, to purchase some very, very nice stylish ones. But, um, yeah, so it's like streaming has taken over and, um, even though it is monetized, it's at such a low level, unless you are selling thousands and thousands and thousands of streams, um, which is a, an argument for building your online brand because yeah. then that is an actual revenue stream but um, I would say for largely for smaller music niches like classical music it's pretty that's not what you lean on it is generally yeah. it is generally touring it's generally face to face stuff so in some ways the streaming I mean, I've read this before that this was the case but it's probably in some ways streaming has hurt music I mean musicians yeah. I should say not music but musicians it definitely um, has closed an avenue I mean but it's it's like streaming is a is a as an effect of the the uh, overall sort of freedom that's been generated by the online mm. um, sharing of music. So streaming is just like the most profitable way for the gatekeepers to maintain some kind of control over it yeah. because it is less trouble for people in general to subscribe to a streaming service and listen to whatever they want rather than what they used to go to, uh, whatever, BitTorrent, a bunch yeah. of, you know, or uh, whatever. I just miss the days when we used to go to like Best Buy and buy <laughs> albums, you Right. Know? Like I yeah. used to do that. Like see, I used to go buy CDs. I used to go on iTunes and buy albums on iTunes. Well, yeah, but I used to go because I was kind of like an early, almost like an early old man in okay. terms of nice. like... I was like, when I buy iTunes, it's just in the cloud somewhere. Right. Yeah. But I want the physical CD. Right. 
Well, I can't believe I even remember thinking that way. It's weird. That's interesting. Um, and I definitely have CDs from when I was in middle school, high school, and it was yeah. more, um, more done, more of the the world. But um, yeah, it's definitely been harder for musicians in that way. I mean, I never experienced like you know there are people in my my drink or and, and colleagues of mine who who experienced that whole transition sure. of the recording industry having a sort of this stronghold on the uh, revenue, and then all of a sudden it's just. It's it's done. So I, I suppose streaming is a better alternative than to people just stealing your music, you know, which <laughs> is kind of what happened in the early two thousands. But yeah, that was huge yeah. back then. I think what was it? LimeWire. It was LimeWire Napster. That was a big one. I never. I don't remember Napster, but I remember LimeWire. Mm-hmm. It was huge. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was, it's interesting. But um, yeah, so I would say the the general things you want to do for revenue in the music world right now are. Um, live experiences that's what people are kind of that's still something you can't reproduce weird though how that's kind of come around though because yeah. I remember I think it was in the late 2000s people were kind of talking about touring being over touring being over huh. I, some people were like my mm. little middle school friends <laughs> <laughs> industry leaders yeah industry All leaders so but now it's like that's people want the experience yeah. I mean people go nuts for it right I, mean, yeah. I have a friend who's already bought her tickets to a Taylor Swift concert in yeah. Belgium or something, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then you have these uh, big music festivals. Yeah, it's huge. Which is, it kind of brings you back to, it's like, as a musician, you Pagan have... days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good, good old days. Huh? <laughs> but, um... You like pagan festivals? Yeah, oh yeah, that's right. You know, you know like Lupercalia and... I don't know that one, but like, I don't know, the Day of the Sun, I don't okay. know. Okay, yeah, exactly. Relatable. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but, um... No, but, uh, like, um, you know, you have these big music festivals, Bonnaroo, whatever. Um, what is it? Huge one. Coachella. Coachella's huge, but I feel like it's all, like, like 18-year-old girls and a bunch of, like, dudes. (laughs) I don't know. You know? Like, I feel like that's, like, that's, like, a really kind of niche audience. They they couldn't get tickets to Burning Man. So, it's, like, Coachella (laughs) is the next best thing. I've never even thought of going. I don't know. I feel like I've missed, like, the bus big time. I've never even thought of going to Coachella. I I went to, it's not nearly as big, but I went to Bottle Rock last year. It was kind of more alternative rock kind of festival. I feel like I I missed out a lot because I never went to, I never went to Van's Warp Tour either. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Did you ever go to that? No, I never went. Oh, dude. That was such a big deal. Yeah, it was huge. Um, no, but, uh, I think basically with touring and anything else, there are still gatekeepers, especially venues and presenters and all this stuff. But, um, so it's using, it sort of has to be, um, synergistic. It has to be, you have to have the live experiences that lead you, lead people back to online Mm -hmm. and, and storytelling in that way. And then Mm -hmm. that online storytelling call to action has to lead people to come back to the live stuff. So it's really like an interplay of real life experience with social media fueling that. I think way, so. Which is kind of like one of the more positive, I was just running an article about this, that that's kind of the most, one of the more, most positive things. If we leave out sort of the, like being marketed to, influenced, all that stuff, one of the most positive things social media can do is bring people together. Yeah. And that's, you know, good for everybody as long as they're not coming together to like mm-hmm. kill people or something. <laughs> So lastly, last point uh, I wanted to get into is that regardless of what some people listening to this might think, there are other forms of music besides pop, hip-hop, and rock. Yeah. So there still are a lot of people playing and enjoying classical music. 
classical music is considered by many to be sort of the peak and the epitome of what music can achieve. There are things that point to how many health benefits of, of classical music. Um, and it seems like maybe with all this world of a billion songs being streamed per year, people flipping around, maybe there's some way that classical music can kind of fit the spiritual need that people have mm. that's causing them to flip through all these songs. Because classical music does, after all, aim to transcend the mundane and everyday things and draw us into a world that does not distract us from what we are thinking or feeling, but demands that we ignore ourselves entirely in order to understand the narrative that is taking place right in front of us. Hmm. What do you think the role of classical music is today? Um, well, that's a really nice way of, of framing it. Um, so classical music is, um, it is significant in two ways. It is timeless, and that's where we're left now with the music of Bach and Beethoven. It's Beethoven year. Shout out to, to Beethoven. <laughs> it's his 250th birthday. Everyone's doing a ton of Beethoven concerts this year. Um, but, you know, it's like um, you have these composers who are around for centuries because their music has a timeless uh, appeal to them. And there's... Um, kind of a canon of uh, composers that's grown up for better and for worse you have you know everyone knows about Bach and Mozart and Beethoven which are deservedly great composers but then you don't hear about a lot of lesser known composers um, who may be equally deserving of, of the limelight but point being um, it's music that stands the test of time that people are still willing to listen to after all these years because it has some kind of lasting um um, a lot of this music is, um, like Bach was kind of famous for writing this, he was attempting to uh, write this kind of music of the spheres, like this this ultimate counterpoint of all these elements, this harmonious reflection of the universe and, and these many moving parts that fit together. He, there's a lot of these composers, and, and Beethoven, who had this, this great call to universality in mankind as a whole, and he, like, there's these very exalted sort of... Um, there, it, a lot of the great sort of classical music is um, universal by design. It's, it's not meant to merely... Um, appeal to one generation or one kind of, um, you know, culture, it's supposed to transcend that. So I think for, it's not for no reason that you have sort of this canon growing up around these tremendously influential composers, but also I think it's hard for people to, um, for a lot of modern people to, uh, appreciate it because at the same time, it very much is of its time. So, I mean, I, I remember hearing this, um, story of, I think it was Franz Liszt playing some beautiful Schumann sonata very or um, I, some some like dramatic romantic piano pieces very had all sorts of stormy mood changes and everything and there's stories like of this soiree that people were listening to it and there were women just fainting you know and the and, and just like the sheer uh, emotionality of it and you listen to these accounts like man it's really it a different world back then you know it's like it was a different culture in a different time and it was just um as much as the music does appeal to us, it also requires some kind of um, historical background. And um, I think that's probably a lot of the reason that it's not more widely listened to um, in the modern culture is that it, the, the, the historical component of it can be kind of forbidding. You know, it can be kind of um, 
off-putting to people who don't already know a lot about it. So I would invite people to um, start anywhere. <laughs> and um, it doesn't matter who you listen to, just start with Mozart, start with Beethoven, start with Ravel, start with any of these great composers. And and you'll find um, it's actually very nice. A lot of it, a lot of people use it, at least initially, to uh, to listen to in the background if mm. they're driving or if they're working or whatever, because the music often doesn't have words unless you're listening to opera or leader. Um, so it doesn't necessarily interfere with what you're doing otherwise. But um, I've gotten to the point where I can't do anything else when I'm listening to music mm. because um, I had to pull over one time when I was listening to Beethoven Kreutzer Sonata played by Zina Francescati because I was just too... I couldn't focus on the road. <laughs> I didn't die. <laughs> I didn't get uh, pulled over, but I realized I had to focus 100% on that music. Now, it's a little extreme. I can now safely drive and <laughs> listen to classical music. It's not, um, it's not impossible, but um, it is music of great depth that um, if you start by listening to it for um, relaxation or enjoyment or just in the background, it's something you can kind of... Um, learn more about and appreciate more over time and there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of depth there you're not you're not going to exhaust it quickly so i'd invite people to check it out and um, just a little bit at a time and don't worry about um if you know a ton about it right off the bat i think it's 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 rewarding it's like reading a great novel or something it's not as easy maybe as just a you know cheap you know novel you might just pick up at the airport or something but but it's worth it so anyway. very well put Mr. Christensen uh, I think we'll end it with that so before we go one more time where, where can people find you at josephphylin.com and on Twitter do you have your Twitter handle violinjoe which is just violinjo at violinjo <laughs> <laughs> very cool and I'll link to you in all this you're a true expert in your field Mr. Christensen you, it was good to have Likewise. you at, at your house <laughs> yes <laughs> Yes, yeah, thank you for coming. All right.